It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 302 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, March 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. Of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network as well. You can find team-specific shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA with David Locke. Those are all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Uh, and make sure you're checking out the NFL shows as well. If you're into the NFL offseason and the draft, those shows are covering all 32 teams from a local perspective that you, you can find a, a very good and interesting take on everything going on with each team around the league. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On NFL network as well. If you find a show on either network that you like and dig and you find hosts that you want to support, make sure you subscribe to their shows on iTunes. And you can do that without Locked On Raptors. If you find us, uh, it's not hard. Just search Locked On Raptors, find it, uh, subscribe, rate, review. On iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the different places that we're hosted. And uh, I'd very much appreciate it. It takes no time at all. And it's the best way to support the show and show that you care. All right. On today's show, uh, joined by Vivek Jacob for uh, one of his many, many appearances on the show to talk about last night's game against the Denver Nuggets, in which the Raptors won 114 110. Uh, probably the most entertaining game the Raptors have played in a while. I guess the the Cavs and Thunder game were also very entertaining, but this one ended in a win. And it was a really good back-and-forth game. Uh, Vivek, I'll, I'll ask the question I usually ask to you when we come on for these things, just because it's the easiest thing to start with, and we can kind of flow off of there. What's your biggest takeaway from the Raptors winning 114-110 over the Denver Nuggets? Biggest takeaway, I guess, would be the bench. Yep. Uh, for me, you know, you looked at the game against the Clippers where they lost the lead in the fourth and again I started to worry a little bit when the Nuggets came out and scored the first couple buckets in the fourth quarter and they took that 90 to 82 lead but immediately after that the bench was the bench they then as we know as we've seen over the course of the season when they can create offense through their defense they're so much stronger you know they just get these easy transition opportunities that get the crowd going and then that seems to get their defense going even more that's basically what we saw. We, you, know, you saw DeLon Wright getting steals and getting the ball out to Siakam. You saw Jakob Pertl with some blocks and some dunks on the other end as well. So uh, great to see the bench back in their groove. Obviously, it was only a couple of games that they struggled. They've been great all season, but uh, they're such an important part of this team now that it was important to see them get back to what they've been for most of the season. Yeah, they were awesome, and I like that Casey stuck with them down the stretch. Uh, DeMar didn't even play in the fourth quarter, and it's not like he played poorly. DeMar was 7 of 12. He had 15 points, 8 assists. Uh, didn't get to the line at all, but he was pretty solid, all told. Uh, but, like, the bench just kind of changed the direction of that game. I So I 
I uh, had to pause it after the third quarter and catch up with the fourth quarter a couple hours later. And uh, I was like, you know, the, the Raptors were down, I think, one going into the fourth. And I was like, all right, let's let's uh, let's fire this thing up here and uh, let's see the, the fourth quarter malaise that has set in for this team the last couple weeks. And it wasn't that at all. The bench kind of regained steam. They were not very good in the second quarter of that game and really sort of brought it back. And yeah, the defense was just, like, unbelievable. Every... I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from this game is that the defense kind of looked like the defense again. Um, uh-huh. The Nuggets scored a bunch of points. They were 110 points on blah, blah, blah. How many? What they points? made some crazy shots. Yeah, they shot 47%. They were 43% from deep. But, like, they, their shot making was insane in that game. Like, Nikola Jokic was 11 of 21. I would argue that maybe, like, two of his baskets were not heavily contested. Um, like, the Raptors were up in his grill pretty much the entire game. Struggled, I think, a little bit early on, kind of gauging where he was going to go in pick-and-pop situations. But other than that, they were just up on him the entire game, and he was making them. Jamal Murray made a three from, like, 35 feet at one point. It was kind of ridiculous. From Kitchener. Yeah, exactly, from Kitchener. Paul Millsap, uh, that he, in the third quarter, he kind of roasted Jonas a little bit. But, like, I don't think Jonas was particularly bad. And all told, the Raptors blocked 16 shots in this game. And I thought their d- defense around the rim was kind of what we've expected. Um, obviously a more extreme example of it, but over the course of the season, they've been one of the best teams defending around the rim this season, and they kind of got back to that. Uh, four blocks for Abaka, Jonas, and Lowry somehow. <laughs> Not sure how that took place, but sure. Uh, Bebe had three blocks in seven minutes because Bebe is Bebe. Um, and then Yak around the rim was really good too, so... I thought it was a very encouraging performance all around from the defense. Even though the Nuggets kind of got theirs, they're going to get theirs. They're the best offense in the league since the All-Star break. And I think the Raptors probably deserve to win this by by more and probably deserve to put up a better defensive rating considering what they did. Um, what did you think of Surge? Because I thought of all the stuff that went into this game, maybe he was the most encouraging thing to come out of it. Yeah, I thought he was really good defensively. I, I think the only issue probably was that his three-point shot wasn't really falling. Mm-hmm. But he had that big one in the fourth from the corner. Um, but I think you saw a lot of the surge that you want to see in the playoffs in terms of defensive release, stretching it out to the perimeter, protecting the rim. Um, and on offense, he did some good things too. He had you know a couple of nice drives where he was able to kick it out. Uh, so uh, this was a very good surge. It's an encouraging sign. Um Maybe had a little extra juice knowing that there's three days of rest coming, mm-hmm. um, or at least three non-game uh, days. Um, I'm sure they'll get some practice time in. But, uh, yeah, I was very encouraged with what I saw from Serge today. Oh, the last game. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, no, he was, uh, I thought, the energy that he showed is kind of what I expect we'll see in the playoffs from him, and it's kind of been why I've been not worried about him, because even in games where he doesn't play particularly well, there'll be like a chase down block or, or a certain play on defense where he rotates really well or stays in front of a guy, and I'm like, yeah, it's still there for him. Like, it's it's the whole thing with, like, talking about the Cavs' defense this season, and it's like, if they can get to a point where they show that they're good, then maybe you'll actually believe it. Like, the Raptors as a team have enough moments where they show that they're good, 
to believe that, you know, the recent struggles are probably just a factor of A, schedule, and B, not really giving a shit at this point of the year. Um, so, so, yeah, I thought Serge was really good. And, yeah, his offense, like, he started off pretty rough, I think, from the field, but ended up 6 of 11, which is pretty nice. He had that one offensive rebound and putback, which was cool. Um, and, like, I think for uh, that, that's got to be his best game for like two months i think really i mean he's had some nice games he had a really good stretch i think at the start of the new year um when he had like i don't know seven or eight straight games where he put up pretty decent numbers and was shooting really well uh this was kind of a throwback to that and kind of i think probably should have eased a lot of people's minds as to surge's well-being i think going into the playoffs and with yeah you mentioned the days coming up with rest that's going to be i think crucial for him and, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty encouraged by what Serge played like. What about OG for you? I think two games in a row now, he's shot reasonably well. Uh, seven points the last two games. I think he's 50% from the field in those games. I think he's 50% from three also, or two of four, something like that, two of five. Um, he's, you know, I think maybe he's kind of, he only played 16 minutes and yet didn't play very much. Uh, in the game on Sunday either against the Clippers, but uh, are you encouraged at all by OG kind of coming around a little bit here as well? Yeah, I think more than anything I'm encouraged by, you know, when he gets to the basket and he's trying to make things happen because I I feel like there was a major stretch where he just wasn't, he didn't have that confidence and so every time he got the ball, he was either on the perimeter and, you know, he was hesitant to shoot, um, didn't know whether he should drive or, you know, just take the shot at that first look, but I think the last two games, we've seen him try to get to the rack. We've seen him try to finish inside. So those are things that encourage me more. You know, he gets a couple of easy finishes. It makes those three-point looks a little bit easier as well. Yeah, he was, uh, he's like, he seems to be a little bit more, he had that nice play where I think he just kind of seeped, he did the purdle thing where he kind of seeped into a little bit of space, got a dump off pass for a dunk or a layup. It was one of those. It might, might have been both, actually. He might have done both things at some point. Um, yeah, the confidence from him seems to be there a little bit. Uh, I think the 16 minutes, I think it was 18 on Sunday. I think that's probably going to be what we're going to see because, I don't know, if you're looking at the rotation right now, and I got this question last night about, like, who are the guys who were the first to drop out if they do shorten the rotation in the playoffs, which I'm still not sure will happen because look how good the bench was yesterday. I mean, they, they played 12 guys. Poor Norm got three minutes at the end of the first half. Played pretty well, I thought. Hit an open yep. three. Uh, made a couple nice defensive plays and kind of wasn't bad at all, but only three minutes for him. Uh, Casey's trying, but like it's not really easy to get him in there. Um, but no, OG, would you say like right now, if you're looking at the rotation, is he the first guy to fall out, even though he is still nominally a starter? Like I feel like it's more of a ceremonial starter spot for him at this point. Um, like, do you think if you were to put money on who's the first guy to drop out and maybe lose most or all of his minutes come playoff time, is it OG? I think you would have to say so. You just look at the other four guys. You look at what Jonas Valanciunas has given you this season. Logically, it makes sense that a rookie that looks as though he's hit the wall and is just trying to you know grind it through the rest of the way, that probably makes the most sense. And you know, Depending on which CJ Miles you get from night to night, to night um, they might have to, you know, really cut down on OG's minutes. If you get a really good CJ, I don't, I don't know how much OG even plays. Um, so, I think with OG at the end of the day, he's going to be really important. In a, you know, in a Buck series, if you're going up against Giannis, in a Cavs series, if you're going up against LeBron, that's where he's really going to matter because you need uh, a guy with his strength. The Raptors don't really have anyone else on the roster that have that kind of strength uh, and size uh, at that position. So. 
his time will come, uh, and hopefully the Raptors will get what they got from him, you know, through the first let's say forty games of the season. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, that'd be nice. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll get back to. I mean, he was shutting dudes down defensively. Like I think no one really expected he would be able to. I mean, he had that game against Harden. He had games against Giannis. Like he was incredible for. Uh, a good stretch there defensively. I'm not sure he'll get back to that level, but every body you can have to throw against one of those dominating wings is going to be handy and useful uh-huh. and important. So, um, yeah, but I, I do think, like, I, I could see a situation in which Miles My- enters the starting five in place of Ananobi in, in a certain playoff series just because of the, the offense he'll need. Like, I, my whole thing is I think come Cav, the Cavs series, whenever that comes, whether it's the second or third round, if it comes to pass, like, I'd be not shocked at all if we saw like a complete shakeup of the starting five, where we see like Siakam with Ibaka in the in the front court with with Miles and then Lowry and DeRozan. Like I, I think Casey's shown in the last couple of playoffs that he's okay switching things up, and uh, yep. that's kind of on the table. So I think OG just because his shooting is such a liability at times, and like he had a horrible miss last night at one point. Um, like I think he's probably the first guy to fall out, but like it, it's nice to have this many guys who you can't really pick who should or should not fall out of the rotation. I mean, Fred Van Vliet, you would think in certain playoff series, maybe his size is going to be a liability. You're going to want DeLon Wright out there instead of Fred, like against like the Bucks, for example, when they have a bunch of large wings. Um, maybe uh-huh. DeLon's the guy. But like Fred last night goes for 15 points on 5 of 7 shooting and 3 of 4 from deep. And it's like, all right, well, what the hell are you supposed to do? You just got to play all these guys, I think. So uh, all very encouraging from last night's game. Did you kind of feel like this game got them back on track a little bit? You know, it's been a sort of a bumpy last couple of weeks. They lost three of five, and people were freaking out on Sunday, and it was exhausting. Um, like, did you feel like this game was different? Were you at the game last night? Did it feel different just, like, kind of talking to people and seeing how it all took place? Yeah, it, it did feel a bit different. I think more than anything, you saw the familiar signs that have made them so successful over the course of the season. You look at the first quarter, DeMar having four assists in just the first few minutes, mm-hmm. um, him finishing with eight assists, Lowry not having to uh, carry the team the way he has the last few games just to keep the offense afloat. I mean, the fact that Lowry and DeRozan combined for 26 and the Raptors dropped 114, that's the big strength of this team mm-hmm. this season, right? So I think those are the encouraging signs, the fact that you saw uh, what's been the template for success. And so, again, the bench coming through and doing what they've done. Um, Jakob Pertl, I thought, was hugely encouraging in the fourth, uh, you know, especially after the first half with him picking up the four fouls. He's had a bit of a rough stretch of late. And so I think that was a big boost of confidence for him. Um, Dwayne Casey talked about post-game, you know, in terms of uh, the bigs taking negative steps mm. when defending the role, and I thought that was really interesting um, because I feel like the instructions from the coverage are to sort of seat back a little bit. Um, and so if they're being encouraged to be more proactive, I think that helps the defense as well. So uh, now they've got these three days off. I think a lot of the struggles, I think it, it is fair to put it down to the fact that they played uh, 13 games in 22 days, which is just obscene. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, it's just a fact. It's not an excuse. Um, that's just really tough to do. I mean, that's you know more than a game every two days, so uh, it, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Pirtle in particular, I think, his recent 
stretch has been, and I think a lot of it's just been matchup. I mean, the game against the Thunder, he was just kind of overmatched by Adams. Same thing against DeAndre Jordan on Sunday, and Montrezl Harrell for that matter, uh, and Boban. All the large people on the on the Clippers are pretty tough to deal with. Um, so yeah, it was nice to see him kind of regain it last night, and you know, really kind of give Jokic some trouble in the second half. I thought. Uh, biggest question, the most important pressing question about Jakob Proto from this game was, was that a dunk? I think it was a dunk. I mean, I, I guess I this is something I used to take issue with, where technically if you don't make contact with the rim, but I feel like ever since Dwight did that Superman dunk where he just threw it in, I think it qualifies as a dunk. If, if Dwight can get away with it with a Superman cape and throw it from 10 feet out, I think I can give it to... Uh, Jakob, like, I mean, he was looking down at the rim and literally threw it down. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give it to him. I disagree, uh, mostly oh, because no. I'm staunchly opposed to that Dwight dunk having counted as a dunk, and for him winning <laughs> the dunk contest on that bullshit. <laughs> I thought that was a heinous uh, embarrassment for the uh, dunk contest, a noble and and beautiful and rich historic event. Um, mm. I thought that was ridiculous. I, I think it's it a. It does take a special kind of skill to actually throw it into the rim with that kind of force, though. Yeah, I just think it's like a, an evolutionary jump shot. Like, I think that's what jump shots will be in <laughs> 25 years when everyone's Giannis size. And that'll be like the, the, the market efficiency will be oh, if I just jump really high and just throw it really hard on a downward angle towards the rim, whether I'm at the three point line or close to the rim. Uh, maybe this is an unguardable shot. So, yeah, no, uh, it's not a dunk. It's a jump shot, a very aggressive and strange one, but it's a jump shot nonetheless. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, these are the important questions. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The last thing, before we let this thing uh, wrap up, Pascal Siakam. This guy is uh, really goddamn good, huh? <laughs> he, yeah, he, he's amazing. I love the confidence that he's playing with right now. Uh, you know, you, you can look at the 12 points, but the six assists is what stands out to me. Yeah. He's had a few games now this season where, you know, he's sort of setting everything one up. And defenses are being forced to pay so much attention to him because of his ability to drive now and finish. Uh, he's always looking to sort of wreak havoc off the dribble. So now defenses are keying on him so much more. And he even had that play where Jokic was on him and he faked the handoff and went straight to the rim and threw it down. Um, so, again, just the confidence he has now off the dribble. He, you know, he said he's getting better at it. Um, and it's just good to see that, you know, these young guys, 
continue to be hungry, continue to get better and find ways to improve. You know, you looked at, uh, he had that little lull uh, midway through the season where people were sort of taking away his right hand. Mm -hmm. uh, And then he worked on his left. Now, you know, he's got that move where he dribbles left and spins back to the right and finishes. And he's gotten really comfortable with that. I think he's a tough guard. He can defend one through five. Uh, And I think he will probably be the biggest X factor uh, in a series potentially with Cleveland because you look at his ability to uh, bring the ball up the floor. You look at his ability to defend LeBron potentially. So um, he might be, you know, it sounds crazy to say after the way he sort of disappeared after making all those starts last season, but he might be, you know, the third or fourth most important Raptor on the team right now. Yeah, I said on Sunday that I think a year from now, Siakam's going to be the third best player on the team, and that won't be a particularly hot take. Um, right. Like, he might be close right now. I think Serge, fully engaged, as we saw last night, I think is there. And Jonas has been so good this season that it's hard to knock him down. But Pascal's been awesome lately. Um, I thought he really, you know, as good as Fred and DeLon were, I think Siakam kind of dictated the offense in the fourth quarter yesterday during that run where they went like what, what like an 18-4 run or something like that uh, yeah. a lot of it was Pascal just kind of driving and dishing off a lot of the big to big passes to you know, to Jakob are like my favorite thing that the Raptors do <laughs> it's it's just delightful every single time um, yep. and I think while his shooting is uh, is obviously a question mark uh, 21% from three I mean that's up like 3% over the last week because he hit four in a row or something like that um, but while that's a question I think his playmaking is getting to the point now where like I don't know if I want to be a defense saying alright here's you know six feet of space for you Pascal to, to either shoot or drive because him with six feet of space to kind of get ahead of steam is pretty dangerous because you mentioned he has that little push shot which is like indefensible at this point um, he's shooting 62.5% from two-point range this season. Like, that's crazy stuff. That's, like, top-of-the-league level efficiency from in close. Um, and for him to be able to do that on the drive and then also find shooters or find bigs who are, you know, rolling or, or sort of seeping into space like Yak is so good at, I mean, yes, his three-point shooting will be an issue, but I think because of his playmaking, it's something where, you know, in the past where teams would maybe sit off of Patrick Patterson and let, you know, or, or funnel the action towards Patterson or Damari Carroll, they did that because they weren't really scared of what they could do off the bounce, whereas Pascal is, you know, one of the better playmakers on the team at this point, and it's going to be really hard for, you know, I think teams to just say, all right, here's all this space, we're going to funnel everything towards you, because he makes really good things happen when the action comes to him. Um, and yeah, I totally agree with you. I think he's going to be one of the most important Raptors. I think, you know, he's what is he averaging in minutes this season? He's averaging 20.6 minutes. Like, I think that could go up to, to, to nearly like 30 in the playoffs, because it seems like every time he's on the court, he's doing something good and useful and effective and um, even, you know, you talk about how the, the defense usually dictates what the offense is going to look like for the bench. And I think Pascal, maybe more than anybody, and yes, DeLon's great at poking balls free for steals, and, and Fred's a great defender, and, and Yak gets lots of stops at the rim. But I think Pascal really feels like the catalyst of that defense as well because he can switch on to everything. He's so long, jumping passing lanes, getting deflections all over the place that I think he kind of is is so, you know, he's crucial to what that unit wants to do as well. So, um, Pascal, he's, he's awesome. What do you, uh, uh, this has kind of been a question that's been floating around. I joked about it last night. What do you envision for Siakam a year, two, three years from now in terms of his, like, what he's going to look like as a player, what we'll, like, view him as throughout the league? 
Um, I think a Sean Marion comp is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I think just the way that you know he can handle the ball. He can, uh, you know, Marion had a lot of those floaters as well. Uh, and was iffy from three point. I mean, he was better. He was pretty decent three point shooter considering what his shot looked like. Um, but yeah, that that's something that interests me. It, if he can rebound like Marion, now that would be amazing. Marion, you know, for the bulk of his career, averaged 10, 11 rebounds a game. Um, I don't know if his scoring can get to that level, mm-hmm. um, but I think there's a lot of similarities there. Just the way they run the floor, the energy that they have, their ability to de- de- defend multiple positions. Um, I know a lot of people like to talk about uh, Draymond just because Draymond's in the league right now, um, but I think they're two different players in the sense that you know Draymond, you know, he, he he's more about using his bulk and his uh, IQ as well. So. I think Siakam's a bit more of the Marion type. What do you think? So I think it's probably somewhere in between. And obviously, like the last four years, ever since Draymond Green became Draymond Green, everyone's been trying to project who the next Draymond Green's going to be. And it's very hard to be the next Draymond Green because he's really good at what he does and his defense is so unique. Um, and like everything that he does is just so much more advanced than what Pascal's at right now. Um, uh-huh. Even his shooting, which is not particularly reliable, it's still more reliable and sort and sort of something that the Warriors can still bank on. Um, and I, I think Draymond's just a better player and, and will remain a better player than Pascal in all likelihood. But at the same time, like this playmaking four prototype of a player has always kind of been you know the last four or five years been what everyone's did, like after in the draft and trying to develop and it's very hard to, and people thought Patrick Patterson was this guy obviously he wasn't quite that um like he had his virtues of course but he wasn't to the level that I think Pascal is right now um and I think the just the the skill set that he provides even without the shooting and if the shooting ever comes like good god <laughs> like yeah. watch it and I don't think his form is particularly broken or anything like that like I would say his jump shot looks smoother than like OG's for example um, and I mean as long as if he can just get consistent at that corner three I think that's yeah. all he really needs yeah for sure um, it, it's it's kind of terrifying what it could look like once he, if he ever starts to shoot but um, no I think the playmaking for guy that you can kind of build the defense around is very much what he could potentially be and obviously as we've seen with guys like Norm this season development's not linear there will probably be struggles teams will figure out this guy can't shoot or I still think the left hand I mean he's still so right hand dominant that maybe the left will become more of an issue uh, and teams will, will focus on that but um, I think the baseline of what he is as a player already with the, the obvious sort of touch and, and feel that he has on offense and then the defense, which I don't think is going anywhere because he's a freak athlete and is super fast and long and, and, and scary to go up against. Like, I think that is just like such a desirable commodity right now in the NBA that I I, I don't know. I, I, I can't say for sure that he's going to end up being like an all-star type guy. Like not like an obviously in terms of like counting stats or anything like that, but obviously Draymond makes that the all-star team every year is like a 12, 8, and 6 guy or whatever he is. Um, like I don't think that's totally out of reach, and obviously to project someone to be Draymond Green is impossible uh, and unfair. But like something like that, I think is very much within the realm of possibility because he's already something like that. Mm-hmm. Is that unfair? Like I don't I don't like getting too carried away with projecting guys, but 
it's just been so encouraging this season. And I, I really do kind of believe that a year from now, he's going to be the third best Raptor and we'll, we'll consider him more of like a part of the core and perhaps like a starter for sure, depending on what happens with Jonas this summer or, or whatever happens with player movement. But like, I think a year from now, he is, is, is viewed as a core member of the team and not just part of this crazy second unit. That is just a nice luxury to have. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you, you've said. Uh, just out of curiosity, who do you think has the higher ceiling, Jakob Pertl or Pascal Siakam? I think it's Siakam. I think the the playmaking and the at least willingness to shoot is uh, right. Like I don't think Yaks. I mean, Yaks a really good passer too. Um, I think <laughs> less so with like off the dribble stuff. I think more like on the roll. He's really smart and heads up in those situations. Um, and his defense is obviously outstanding, and he's super smart. It's nice to have both of them. I will say. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, if that's. It, it, Hopefully that's the front court for many years to come, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That would be really exciting. Uh, I tweeted about uh, this yeah. last night. The uh, the Raptors from the 2016 draft, they have just their two draft picks. This doesn't even count Fred. They've gotten like uh, 12.8 or 13 total win shares. I think after last night, I think it's been updated. 13 total win shares out of their, their two draft picks. And like most teams, like that are not anywhere near that. Teams like the Pistons are negative zero point six win shares provided by their draft picks. Henry Ellenson <laughs> and Michael Jiminije, um, like they did really well. And Fred is in that as well. And um, the more Fred plays this well, here's my thing with Fred: is I, I've been un- uncertain about like what his future is going to be and if he's going to be with the team next season. I think the better he plays, the more likely it is the Raptors bring him back. To be honest, like, what do you think about that? Oh, no, for sure. And I think a little bit of it will have to do with how far they go in the postseason. If Mm -hmm. they get to the conference finals, I I think if they get to the NBA finals, I think it's a lock that he comes back because I don't think there's any way he can break up the team. Um, But if they they even get to the conference finals and really give the Cavs a run for their money um, or, you know, I mean, let's face it, I I think the Cavs are the only team that should... uh, you should be okay with beating the Raptors at this point. Um, anything else, if they lose to the Celtics or the Wizards even, I think that would be a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as long as they give the Cavs a run for their money and really you know, take it to a competitive six-game series or seven, um, I think you've got to look at bringing Fred back. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know, everyone's sort of been going crazy over Kyle Lowry's uh, three-point shooting, and rightfully so. You know, he's shooting 52%. Uh, from three since March seventh, um, <laughs> but Fred VanVleet, um, sort of under the radar, he's shooting fifty-two percent from three since March eleventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think w- what he gives you with the three-point shooting, it, it, it's so desperately needed on this roster, especially on uh, a night like the one they had against Denver, where CJ Miles doesn't have it going and Serge Ibaka doesn't have it going. So then you're looking at Kyle and uh, VanVleet as sort of the two guys that you're relying on. So for him to come through, and now he's doing these Kyle Lowry impressions where he's taking charges, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, all is well in Raptorland once again. Um, <laughs> you don't want to fire Casey anymore? <laughs> wow, man. I can't believe that was Raptors actually a take Twitter on Sunday. It's is a hell of an experience. It certainly is a... Uh, it's entertaining, to, to say the least. I mean, entertaining like uh, I'm sure that movie Hurricane Heist probably is, but I'm sure it's entertaining. 
yeah, I think with Fred, honestly, you say that if the Raptors make it to a conference finals or the finals, it's probably a lock. Like, I would argue that the way they've played this season and just how much they've outclassed the rest of the East, I would argue it's maybe almost already a lock that they're going to go into the tax next season because, like, you look at the roster and there's no reason if they keep Fred in particular, there's no reason for it not to get better next season just up and down because everyone's going to be a year older. They'll be either in their second or third or fourth years as opposed to their first or second or third. And like, I think you can build in a lot of internal growth from the back end of this roster. Maybe not from the top. Maybe there's some regression from Serge or Kyle, but um, like, I don't think DeMar is getting any worse anytime soon. Like he's still only 28 and he's improved every year and I'm not going to pencil in a regression for him anytime soon. Um, so yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of reason to already to say like, yes, this team is worth bringing back next season and paying a lot of money for, even if the, the playoff bracket breaks, unfortunately, and the Sixers ride their unspeakably easy schedule to the third seed at the, at the end of the day, and the Raptors go out in the second round in a close series. Like, I still think there's enough data here and enough reason and justification to say, all right, let's just pay for this team next season anyway, and go at it for another year in this window. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I completely see where you're coming from. I, th- I think the, the angle that I was taking was more if, you know, you do get beat uh, by the Cavs convincingly or, you know, you lose in a series to someone else and you're exposed uh, poorly at the small board position, then mm-hmm. I think you have to sort of ask the question, you know, is our money best allocated towards a third very good point mm-hmm. guard? Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So. Yeah, that, that's that, more of what I was Fair enough. Um, these are all questions for another day. Uh, it's yeah. just nice that the Raptors played a nice game and played well, and everything's exciting again and happy and not so angsty. Um, we got to wrap this thing there. I've been told from the bosses that these that the podcast is going too long, so I'm going to try to shorten them a little bit. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that doesn't bode well for me talking out of my ass all the time. But hey, we'll we'll try. Uh, Vivek, do you have anything you want to plug right now? Um, yeah, I did a little thing on Jamal Murray and Trey Lyles, um, based on the game last night and just how their seasons have gone. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow I will have something just sort of diving into uh, John Schumann's tweet about the Raptors' defense against elite teams and just giving it some context because, you know, five or six of those have been on the second night of a back-to-back and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. just adding some context to that. Good stuff. Uh, I'm always down for, for tamping down the fear-mongering, so uh, p- please <laughs> please write the hell out of that piece. Uh, follow Vivek at VivekMJacob on Twitter. Uh, I'll be at the game next Wednesday against the Celtics. Maybe we'll have to do a podcast after that one. Um, in in sure. house, uh, one of our classics. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Sean. I don't have much written lately, but the podcast is going strong. You can check out the Hoop Talks Live podcast as well with myself and Mitch Robson. And if you have not yet bought tickets, tonight, Wednesday night, uh, at the Rivoli in Toronto, Queen, Queen Street West, uh, Queen and Spadina-ish area, uh, myself, Mitch, and Jamie Hills are doing a panel about youth sports basketball at Hoop Talks Live. Uh, panel with Will Lou, Blake Murphy, Eric Kareen, Donovan Bennett's going to be after us, talking Raptors, and then the the crew of Michael Grange, Eric Smith, uh, Sherm Hamilton, all those guys will be doing a panel as well at the end of the night. Uh, so come on out, buy tickets, use the promo code Woodley, and you'll get some money off tickets. I think five bucks uh, off the fifteen or twenty dollar ticket. Uh, it's a great time. If you haven't been to a Hoop Talks before, please come on out. It's great. It's really enjoyable. I like meeting some of the, the listeners and people who I interact with on Twitter and then finally meet them in person, and it's always great. And I usually roast VTech Poppy as well. Um, so, <laughs> 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 uh, 
Everyone knows Vitek Poppy by now. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for that. We'll be back again uh, tomorrow with another episode. I'm going to preview the Celtics game on Friday with uh, Michael Pina from Vice Sports. And uh, I might do like a Raptors 905E playoff preview as well because they play on Friday. So stay tuned for that. And uh, if I don't, I apologize for making empty promises. But hey, you should be used to it by now on this show. Uh, All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And uh, have a good one, everybody. Cheers. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 